0: Hey everyone and welcome to episode 38 of the Convergence podcast. I had taken a short break as things had gotten quite hectic over the last few months. So I needed a little time to reset things, but I hope you're all doing well and you got a chance to listen to some of the previous episodes in the meantime. This week I had the chance of talking to Naveen Salvanathan, who is a visual development artist with over a decade of experience, currently working at DreamWorks Feature Animation. In the past, he has also worked on really, really iconic projects, such as Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Hotel Transylvania 3, just to name a few. Naveen shared his experiences across these different projects and studios, and how he has evolved his art to this point and to this level. This was a really fun episode packed with a lot of great information, so I hope you get a lot of value from it. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Naveen. So before we get into the work itself, Naveen, I, mean, I just want to know how long have you been working professionally for?
1: It's uh, difficult to say because I worked for like three years in India mm-hmm. in 3D animation industry. Then I came here, I worked in... Uh, I studied and then I started working. So about 10 years in US okay. and uh, three years in India. So, so what
0: what prompted you to after working professionally for a couple of years in India, decide to study further and, you know, refine your skills? No, the kind of work that I got in
1: India, they were not very satisfying artistically mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, it was a work that was outsourced from animation studios in the U.S. And a lot of it was work that they did not want to do in the U.S. So they would have, uh, you know, everything set up uh, creatively in US and they'll just send it there to mm-hmm. get it executed so you know you wouldn't have a lot of creative input in what you're doing there right so I felt like yeah maybe if I uh, studied a little more and understood you know uh, how they were doing things mm-hmm. maybe I could get to do what they were doing okay. you know in US so, you know, that's what prompted me
0: and when you were working as a 3D artist or 3D animation side of things in India Did you already know that you eventually wanted to go down this proper animation, Disney Pixar style over the years? Or is that something that came to you later on?
1: Um, No, when I was in India, this felt like a goal that was not reachable. Mm -hmm. It it felt so distant. And I did not even know that, there are jobs that existed where I could do this. Um, I just felt like I should study something that was a little more uh, advanced than what I was doing here. Okay. And once I came to US, that's when I realized what kind of jobs are available and how to g- get there.
0: Okay. And back then, social media wasn't also that developed that you could really yeah, yeah there was across. no
1: social social media back then. Mm. And even uh, you know, internet it was difficult to find things. You know, uh, because. You know, uh, you have to know where to go to, uh, you know, get all this information.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, because of uh, the presence of social media, now you can find out a lot more things. There are groups that uh, you know help people with
2: yeah.
1: uh, all this uh, information. But uh, back then, there was nothing available. So uh, the first time, uh, as soon as I finished my engineering school, I wanted to study. Something related to animation, but I did not know what kind of schools would teach that. So I just applied for like regular universities, but uh, you know, looking for like multimedia courses, and I thought that's what would teach me animation. But then I realized that no, they they were those were not related to art or animation. They were more like technical side of uh, like multimedia uh education so i dropped that idea okay that's when i joined uh you know animation studios in india okay so it took me like three years to even uh know uh, be aware of uh, art schools that are uh, that existed in us wow
0: yeah it's such a contrast to nowadays where you have like people super young just interacting with professional industry artists and learning all the information firsthand. yeah you know it's it's a huge change and
1: i'm glad it's happening they don't have to go through what i went through
0: and something that i'm always curious about is for someone who started out in one side of the industry let's say in the outsourcing side of the industry to now being in the real hub of where the creative ideas are happening how has that transformation been for you were you Mentally prepared to take on the challenges and the responsibilities that came up with it, or you were like really excited to be in the middle of those challenges and the design processes? You no, know,
1: I was really excited. This is really what I wanted to do. This was my dream job, and it is the dream job for a lot of people who are uh, studying uh, art and animation. So, uh, working in feature animation is kind of like the Highest tier of uh, animation art, mm-hmm. uh, but it did not happen overnight. You know, uh, I had to. It was a very slow process. So it's not like I just got it easily, and then I'm like uh, uh, surprised at you know how the industry works and uh, being uncomfortable there mm-hmm. uh, because it was a struggle. I. Had to learn everything before I uh, entered the industry. A lot of it before I entered the industry. So it was not a, such a big surprise when I entered. Okay. Uh, no, so for some people, they uh, you know they're they very good when, when they come out of school, and they also get lucky
2: mm-hmm. with
1: the timing and everything else. So they might uh, feel a little surprised when they you know, enter the industry at how everything is getting done. But it was not the case for me. No, I, I kind of understood everything. Okay.
0: I, and Yeah, you really had to go through that grind and the slow process to get yeah, to that point.
1: Yeah, it was, it was pretty slow. Yeah.
0: So early on, what were some of your art influences that really made you think like, hey, this is an industry that I would like to be a part of?
1: Um, no, when I came to US to study animation, I joined three uh, D animation in uh, my school, Academy of Art University in San Francisco. Okay. And as soon as I joined, I realized that you know, I could uh, just do a living by drawing and designing for animation. That's when I you know, uh, wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. Before that, I did not know that such a uh, job existed so once i came to us uh, i realized that and then i switched to my major and since then i've been you know, i was kind of moving towards that
2: okay
0: so there was not any particular artist or whose journey you thought inspired you towards that particular industry so to speak
1: not really because i did not know any artist when i came to us uh, i was like so uh you know I was so out of touch with uh, how this industry worked and I had very little knowledge uh, and I think now there's a lot more awareness about the all the veteran artists and um, how people worked in animation and how the industry worked. but back then I did not know anything. I just I learned everything after coming to us and uh, taking my first uh, semester
0: mm, okay. So something that I really wanted to discuss with you specifically is that you've done concept art and now visual development for animation as well. And Mm. I feel like people often maybe get those two terminologies confused as to what exactly the responsibility would be as an artist in either side. So maybe you could elaborate Mm. your experiences about that. Uh, I think, yeah, they are not. Uh, visual development
1: is more specifically the term used for animation industry mm-hmm. and concept art is used for feature films like uh, live action films and for gaming. Okay. I think that is the main difference. Um, other than that, uh, you know, and work-wise, I don't see a lot of difference, but there is a difference between uh, conceptual visual development and uh, production side of visual development. Because uh, at the initial stages of uh, an animated animated project, it is more conceptual. They call it the blue sky Mm -hmm. phase, where you're given the freedom to just explore ideas. And then once the project starts, then it becomes a lot more focused. And you are designing for a a very specific situation in the movie. Uh, So the design has to work for that situation. So it is a lot more focused, uh, but the conceptual phase is more uh, open, so I can kind of get away with a lot more ideas.
0: For somebody who is trying to break into the industry, now like you said, the kind of work required to work in animation versus to work in feature films or video games is different purely because of the kind of IPs that are being developed are different. Yeah. Does, does it make sense for somebody to create a portfolio that can holistically apply to all these industries or should they be a bit more targeted towards their approach?
1: Uh, but the, it is possible. There are some artists who are kind of good at both.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: you have to just be, uh, you know, there are a lot of the things that are common between animation and uh, live action and uh, gaming industries. It is like, having like a really good sense of lighting mm-hmm. and, uh, composition, things like that. So if you are really good at it, uh, both the industries can, uh, utilize your uh, talent. Uh, and also having a realistic sense of lighting, mm-hmm. animation, sometimes it tends to be a little more, um, you know, exaggerated the lighting and the colors. So if you have, um, pieces that are grounded in more uh, realistic uh, lighting and color then uh, you know you can um, potentially work in both animation and uh, in uh, live action there are a few concept artists like ryan lang or craig mullins they work in both the uh, both industries
0: yeah i mean those two are pure masters of their craft so there's so much we can learn from the way they approach it as well and even in your work, I've seen like the way you bring in the lighting is extremely realistic and extremely beautiful because you're able to convey fairly complicated scenes through simple shapes because the lighting looks so believable. So h- how did you get to this point? Like, Were you studying from movies? Were you studying from photographs or just painting? How was it? Uh, first of all, yeah, thank you. Thanks
1: for you know, the kind words.
0: Uh, yeah, I
1: was uh, learning from everywhere, you know, uh, animated movies, live action movies and you know, if I see like an ad uh, with like nice lighting I'll try to do a study, master study of it and also from master artists mm-hmm. a lot of the uh, live action movies and animated movies, they, they take inspiration from um, these master artists um, and their paintings, you know, how they uh, dealt with color and lighting, how they controlled the light so your eyes would focus on where they want your eyes to focus on you know these concepts are used in you know all the industries all the creative industries so you know i uh, took inspiration from that as well and that's how you uh, uh, you know control your uh, details and uh, bring focus to the focal point in a
0: painting. Were there any particular movies that you can recall at this point that you know that you studied often to really understand how that particular film got it right? Um, you know, a lot of
1: uh, Roger Deakins uh, movies I, I love uh, because he has both. Uh, complicated lighting setup and also very simple setups that are really striking. Mm-hmm. So um, animation they often tend to be very uh, focused and sometimes like too direct and simplistic. But in live action movies like that of uh, Roger Deakins, mm-hmm. uh, he uh, uh, he has a little more sophisticated and complex lighting setups. So I, I love uh, looking at his work
2: mm-hmm. and uh,
1: a lot of the older movies like. Uh, I think Barry uh, Lyndon, that's a movie where they did not use any uh, artificial light and most of the uh, lighting is beautiful. So it it is great to kind of learn from movies that are lit more naturally at first and then move to more, uh, you know, studio-lit movies. It is important to learn uh, both uh, kind of lighting. So, you know, you're a little more
0: versatile yeah that's a great point that way you know that for what situation you might be in you can manipulate the lighting yeah and you know your uh, paintings won't look the same
1: so, uh, sometimes realistic lighting may not work for your uh, uh, scene mm-hmm. you need a little more uh, studio lighting for, to kind of highlight the face and uh, uh, to show more of the scene realistic lighting might uh, become too dark or uh, you know um, it may not be as interesting. Mm-hmm. So you, know, you have to be more versatile.
0: Yeah, oftentimes in animation, I almost look at it similar to stage lighting for plays, mm-hmm. the way they really mm-hmm. focus in on a particular character. And it's pretty interesting yeah. to see the similarities in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to talk about your own art style at the moment, like you've almost simplified your work to a point where just shapes are able to depict the scene. But starting yeah. out, was your work already like that, or did you go through the process of doing like much more detailed work? Yeah, I, I didn't
1: uh, go through phases you know. mm-hmm. uh, Initially, um, this is like where once I started understanding like proper lighting, I wanted to really capture how. Uh, Uh, traditional uh, paintings are done so I would try to be a little more uh, painterly Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: not necessarily more detailed but just uh, like softer with my uh, painting and trying to indicate a lot of details with my painting strokes but now I'm trying to be a little more graphic and at the same time uh, trying to take out a lot of the details both in terms of lighting and Uh, like graphic shapes so only like the basic shape remains and still conveys the idea that I want to convey.
0: Why do you think certain artists go down that route like you almost strip away all the excessive information and retain it to its base form Mm -hmm. what is it that draws you towards that style of work?
2: People
1: have their own uh, like Uh, things that they like to do and this is a challenge right you uh, um, try to convey an idea uh, with like minimal number of uh, amount of information Mm -hmm. and that's a good challenge for uh, any artist and a lot of artists try to do that and even in um, animated movies we tend to not uh, kind of crowd a scene with too much details and Add only what is necessary, and uh, we feel like that uh, has a more artistic look to it. When you add too much details, it tends to look too realistic and also a little distracting to the eye. And once you simplify it, it is uh, easier to look at, and it also you know gives like a more artistic um,
0: um,
1: look to it. So uh, it's also like a personal. Uh, uh, preference.
0: Mm. So, I mean, just to kind of extrapolate from there, do you see your style simplifying even further down, or do you feel like you're in a more mature phase in your art style at this point? I, I
1: think I'm in a pretty good uh, place right now mm-hmm. uh, because I, I don't want to convey uh, information, so I want that uh, you know that freedom to explore that as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind. Uh, you know, exploring different styles because my style keeps evolving and changing. I yeah, I don't know which direction I would go but uh, uh, you know, I think detail wise I'm kind of happy with where my paintings are right
0: now. Okay. So like what we were talking about earlier about the vibrancy and the playfulness and colors in your work mm. and something that comes to my mind is whenever you look at these art masters or let's say courses, they always talk about this storytelling through color or emotional storytelling through color. And Mm. sometimes I really wonder like, how does one actually approach that? Because again, it is such a subjective thing. So in your process, how do you go about picking certain colors to convey certain meanings? You
1: know, uh, when you're doing color script, it is really important to uh, keep uh, your colors in mind for certain emotions and certain story moments. Mm -hmm. Because uh, structuring your color, um, it is just a better way of working when you're doing a color script. Uh, Sometimes people get away with whatever uh, they want Mm -hmm. and your movie might work just fine. But it just adds a little more sophistication and uh, uh, like planning to your uh, movie uh, if your colors are like structured. Um, so uh, some people take it to take it a little too far. Like uh, um, I think it's uh, M. Night Shyamalan. He has like really sophisticated, like really complex way of uh, Know, approaching color and what it signifies in his movies uh, i think uh you know one of my instructors Tai to me, he was the one who uh, uh, like pointed pointed it out to me uh in the sixth sense
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, whenever uh there is some supernatural element or uh, you know when uh, the uh, hero he approaches uh that'll be red in that uh, area so red signifies his presence okay so uh, you know he had that idea and it uh, continued through the movie so maybe subconsciously you'll understand that he is there when you see red in the movie i don't know how much it really i said maybe you know it, it's like a cool thing that you'll notice after like a few viewings yeah. or right uh, is something that you feel subconsciously but the more um, uh, like a tactile way of doing it is, um, you just kind of have some color combination for certain um, moods in the movie. Like uh, you know, whenever there is like a sad scene, you have like certain color combinations, or whenever there is, you know, they are uh, going to a certain country, so you cha- you have like a certain color combination to indicate that country. Mm-hmm. So when You're switching back between, say, India and US. There is like a clear distinction, right? Uh, You know when they are in India and when they are in US. Um, Similarly, uh, like a flashback and like a present day, you kind of show it through the color combinations and also through uh, conveying certain mood. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have, for example, a person who has some mental issues and they when, whenever they are in distress, you use certain colors to uh, show that they are in distress or they are going to be uh, distressed, or they are happy, you, know, you convey with, you, with it with uh, a specific color. So whenever their mood is uh, elevated, you use that color. So you can use it in like multiple ways. And, you know, you can really make it really
0: complicated or simple. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to discuss because sometimes you might also fall into the trap of doing something very cliche, like certain colors representing certain emotions, but actually going one step deeper, like you were talking about in the sixth sense, where certain positions of colors within the frame indicate certain deeper meanings, so
1: no and uh, you know when it is like really stark uh, then it will it might look too cliche mm-hmm. but you can also make it like really subtle that it is not like uh, immediately uh, like a jarring change in colors but more like a subtle change so yeah. it just you feel it and not really see it
0: mm, that that makes sense i guess there is some amount of intuition involved in something like this as well just picking out colors mm-hmm. Do you think that's something that can be trained over time, like just through pure research, or is that something that people just have innately?
1: Uh, I think some people are just uh, better at colors, but always you can learn. um, uh, A lot of it is like uh, science, so you you can learn. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, there are some people who have that great uh, talent as well so maybe they'll get it easily more easily than others mm-hmm. but always you can get better
0: since you mentioned that you had studied on the dice mm-hmm. i just wanted to know about that experience as well because he i mean the work that he has done is also of such such high caliber and continues to mm-hmm. do so so just how is that experience like uh, it was
1: really intense, you know, it was uh, one of the best classes, uh, workshops that I've taken mm-hmm. and uh, I was working at that time and uh, his assignment was to come up with a color script uh, in the 12 week workshop period. Okay. So we were working on that, but also we had to paint a, uh, a scene from an animated movie, he'll give us a line drawing and uh, we have to come up with like three versions lighting uh, setups for that background each week and we had to do a master study of a master painter and also do uh, painting from life so we had to do all this every week and it was crazy and I was also working full-time
0: oh my god
1: but I learned so much in uh, that period and as soon as I finished that course Mm -hmm. I got a job at uh, Sony so, um, you know, it really elevated my uh, uh, skill level, mm-hmm. that
0: uh, workshop. That's the thing with these really prolific artists, right? They they teach mm-hmm. you so much, but then the expectation is also really high. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is
1: really high. Yeah. And, you know, he's uh, Japanese, so he has that uh, Japanese work ethic. And you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great experience.
0: At this point in your career, are you still working like those many hours a day where you are juggling multiple projects and things like that?
1: Uh, Currently, yes. Uh,
2: You know,
1: I was uh, just doing my uh, full-time job for a while, but then uh, during the lockdown um, and also uh, I got started getting some traction uh, in social media. So a lot of uh, students, they approached me with like freelance work. And uh, initially, I started saying yes to a lot of them. So the work has piled up and, and I'm trying to finish all of them. And you know, I, I hope I, I start saying no to others in the future because, uh, you know, beyond a point, it's not sustainable and you need your mental break to perform well. So you know, but right now, I'm like quite, uh, you know, busy. Mm. with all the freelance
0: work so these freelance projects what's the kind of duration that you generally take them up for are they like small bursts of gigs or long-term projects with companies
1: um a lot of them they uh uh, go on for like a couple of months
2: Mm.
1: usually so uh, there are some projects which are in production so uh, they uh might want your help for a longer period but then you know usually i'll kind of uh, say I'm, I'm I'm done with this okay so um, yeah i'd like to take a break uh but there are projects which are in their initial stages where they just need the conceptual work so that will be for like a month to two months so that's like the more ideal freelance project that i like to work on
0: okay But while all this is happening, you also are working full time with DreamWorks right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I just want to know more about your experiences in these biggest studios. Like we said at the beginning of the conversation, these are companies that people really, really want to work for. And Mm. again, with that, there's also a lot of expectation in terms of quality with these studios. So how's your experience been and just how you tackle these situations over there?
1: Oh, that's a kind of a, a broad question. Uh, you know, overall, it has been a great experience uh, because as you become more experienced, uh, you know how to tackle different assignments easily, and you know, uh, it just your uh, life becomes a lot easier. But still, you guys sometimes you get challenges where you know you're struggling. Uh, so that's always the case, but initially it was a struggle because in this industry, everyone is good. You know, the people around you, they're all at the top of their game. So you are competing with them. And uh, so you have to work at their caliber. So that is there is always that uh, insecurity and stress that you feel, uh, especially on projects that are a little more uh, prestigious, uh, uh, they only pick the people with the highest talent. So there is that added pressure. Um, but overall, I've been you know, doing okay. Um, yeah, and since time, with every project, you learn something new and your repertoire of uh, skill, uh, it increases. So you gain more confidence and feel like you can face whatever is thrown
0: at you just to get a bit more specific and granular about the production pipeline itself for those who might be you know students or just getting into the industry what's mm-hmm. a typical pipeline like in these animation features how many people are part of the visdev teams concept teams and what's the structuring like
1: um, you know initially it's usually very small like mm-hmm. uh, it probably starts with like 3 people Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, and it might expand to like six or seven uh, artists in the Vista uh, team. Uh, but the standard is around uh, no, six
0: okay.
1: artists. Yeah. And in uh, some studios, they might want it get really uh, fast. So they might hire a few more people uh, to get the work done. Okay. But the standard is around like six uh, artists, six to seven artists.
0: So these six to seven artists, are they all like of equal, let's say level of experience or is there like a senior artist leading these teams and some junior artists, some mid-level artists or is everyone just sort of at their own skill level and doing their thing?
1: Usually they'll have a few senior best of artists. Okay. There is the highest position is the production designer and then below them is the art director, mm-hmm. and below the art director are all the Vista artists. Okay. And in among the Vista artists, you'll have some who are senior; they'll have like uh, five to ten years experience or more. And then you have a few junior artists as well.
0: So, when you are working on a particular shot, let's say of a feature film, what's the process of actually starting that particular? concept do they hand you a color script or is it like a script part of the script which you I mean which describes what you need to design and uh, essentially flesh out how is the process like
1: um, we usually have the script of the movie so from that we know what the uh, our location is going to look like mm-hmm. so this depends on what kind of assignment I'm getting you know there are like so many different um kind of you know work that my, that i might get mm-hmm. so if it is a uh, location design then we'll read the script or sometimes even the storyboard the storyboard is ready and then uh, come up with a location that will match that storyboard but the storyboard sometimes may not be ready okay and our design will dictate how the storyboard is designed so we'll read the uh, script and come up with the location uh, like. That it'll go through like a rough concept phase where we'll come, we'll have a lot of ideas, and then you'll start narrowing it down. And then you'll have like a couple of location paintings which are really detailed mm-hmm. with uh, texture information and you know, uh, all the uh, like more detailed designed objects within that space. Okay. So that's how a location design works. And if it is uh, like a lighting key, then that will be a a different case. Even with the lighting key, you have like just a generalized lighting setup for that scene, where uh, uh, you're just kind of giving the idea of how that uh, location should look like. Mm -hmm. And then the specific lighting key, which is uh, towards the end of the production, where you are informing the lighting artist how the scene has to be lit and how the characters have to be lit how the face has to be lit and uh, you know like very specific information Mm. so um, um, you know it is like almost like the final frame of the animated chart
0: wow that's really interesting uh, yeah yeah and the reason i'm asking these questions like really specific about the process is just to give the listeners a sense of what it feels like being in those situations, working on a production like this. Are there times where the lighting artists say like, hey, the lighting that you've designed may not work out, so things need to be changed? And how long do those turnaround times generally go on for? Um, you know, usually we'll uh, when we are doing the final lighting,
1: we'll already get... Uh, like a rendered shot mm-hmm. of the uh, you know the location and the characters, so we have to kind of come up with a concept that will okay. work for the lighting artist, and they wouldn't usually push back. It'll be the director okay. who'll uh, tell us that you know this is not going to work, and uh, you know you have to do something different. And it the lighters' duty is to execute what we kind of give give them. I see. So and uh,
0: no, sorry. Go ahead. Go yeah. So on. it'll you will
1: usually get a scene not a shot okay so in this scene you have to um it has to hook up with each uh shot so it is cohesive so uh you know one once we have like one lighting setup for that shot then we use that as like the master and then try to match it for the other shots within the scene um so you know that that's how final lighting
0: works Mm, that's fascinating That I think, yeah, I think it opens up the amount of creative choices that you have quite a bit. You can actually dictate how the final lighting in the film could end up looking like, I suppose. Yeah, uh, at that time, yeah, we'll uh, have to come up with uh,
1: lighting ideas sometimes. It is not just like lighting to kind of show the face and just show the environment, but uh, coming up with, uh, more conceptual lighting like oh, I want this to look like a film noir um, um, shot you know I want it uh, to be reminiscent of that mm-hmm. era and evoke that feeling or you know something from like a 70s movie or you know you can uh, kind of come up with like cool concepts at that time so, you know,
2: yeah
0: it's a fun uh, assignment
2: mm-hmm.
1: Writing is
0: usually like a lot of fun. So now that, I mean, just the general quality in the industry is so high, like the bar is set so high and even students coming out of colleges have like extremely good work or even those who are learning on their own. How does one actually break into studios like these? Because there are so many artists trying to get a position over there. What Mm. are the other factors apart from just the portfolio that will kind of ensure your chances over there?
1: Uh, just uh, um, sharing your work and uh, getting more eyeballs on your work now that is always important and keeping in touch with the uh, recruiters uh, you know that of course is important going to conventions and just getting to know the studio and the people who work at the studio getting their input and you know just, letting them know that you exist. So they remember your portfolio and uh, your face when they see there's an opening at the studio. Now that is extremely important.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, I got my first break through uh, CTM, the convention. So I would I used to go there every year and show my work to uh, all these studios and work on my portfolio uh, using their feedback and then go back the next year. So that's how I got my job. So I'm sure a lot of people, they got their jobs through uh, CTN and other conventions. So it is really important to keep in touch with people in the industry.
0: Yeah, that networking aspect is such an important factor to really... Also, it opens up a larger window into how productions happen and kind of understand Mm -hmm. that side of things. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about your experience working on spider-verse because that became like such a phenomenon of a film of course yeah. beautiful looking work and a great story mm-hmm. what was the experience like was it really high pressure or was it like fun how was it like yeah, it was it was
1: very high pressure uh yeah that's like the most stressful project i've ever worked on uh because the uh, one the just the level of caliber, the talent working on the project was very high. Everyone was on top of their game, and a lot of very senior artists were working. And just the tone of the project was like kind of serious. Uh, so there is not there was not a lot of room for getting things wrong. And uh, yeah, I, I actually. Uh, I could have worked for longer but I uh, decided to not ah, uh, because of the amount of stress. Okay. And uh, the second reason was the style of the project kept uh, evolving and changing and it was uh, pretty hard to keep up with it. You know you have to be like really um, like know what everyone else is doing to see how things were changing because you know they were uh, the production designer they changed in the middle of the project so the whole style of the project changed and uh, we were trying to come up with like a uh, new texture the look of the movie
2: mm-hmm.
1: but also each artist was doing their own uh, exploration okay. and you have to really know what everyone else is doing to apply it to your work so uh, it was hard to keep up with that uh, so, yeah, that was a tough project, but no, I'm glad I worked on it. You know, it was you know, The end result was amazing. So, um, I'm uh, happy and I feel lucky to have been a part of that project. And I'm also working on the sequel now.
2: Oh, wow. and
1: uh, Yeah, it is uh, slightly better because they have uh, uh, figured out the main style, mm. but uh, um, the stuff that I'm working on is like pretty cool so I'm, I'm glad i get
0: to work on that wow so i'm, I'm cool. really excited to see you know what you guys come up with for that because i remember seeing the film in the theater at that time mm-hmm. and it was such a brilliant experience after a long time it an animation just blew you out of the seats mm-hmm. essentially because there was so much energy so much happening in that film and of course alberto mielgo's influence was yeah. very evident throughout the entire film in, in a project of this, let's say, importance in terms of the stakes of a project like this, do you also get to interact with the directors and the production designers on a regular basis?
1: Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: They are the ones
1: who uh, you know how it works is the uh, production designer and the art director. They'll first look at your work mm-hmm. and once they are satisfied, then they'll show to the director. Okay. So you have like weekly meetings with the director and maybe like twice or thrice meeting with the production designer and the art director uh, every week.
0: I see. Yeah. Like you mentioned earlier, a a project like this has such vastly talented artists working on it. Mm -hmm. Do you ever run into those situations where you feel like I'm not good enough to be in these projects or that imposter syndrome kicking in?
2: Yeah,
1: I uh, know that always happens. You know? uh, sometimes you feel like you're kind of uh, you know, cheating and uh, you, know, you kind of somehow got the job and now you have to somehow make it work. Yeah, that uh, you always have that feeling sometimes. Uh, but you have to kind of work through it, you know? mm-hmm. find uh, solutions and uh, you'll usually be able to you know, tackle it. But it is still, you know, sometimes it's terrifying. Yeah.
0: And it's really, yeah. really interesting to me when someone of your skill level feels something like that because your work itself is at such a, such a high quality and I'm sure there are so many artists looking up to your work. And I guess that feeling always stays no matter which level of skill you reach, in a way.
1: Uh You know, it depends on the assignment and uh, because um, there are people who specialize in certain uh, aspects of visual development Mm -hmm. and design, so uh, you can't be an expert at everything. So, uh, you know, my my, uh, specialization is like lighting and color, so I can manage to, uh, you know, paint in different uh, lighting setups different styles mm-hmm. uh i'm a good designer but i'm not like the greatest designer You okay. know, there are people who are like really really good at uh, layout design and coming up with like cool uh, ideas for design so if i have to compete with them then i'll have that feeling so it depends on the uh kind of assignment you're getting if it is not something that uh, you specialize in then you'll have that feeling you wouldn't be as confident but you have to work through it and eventually even the ones that you're not uh, confident in you'll get more confidence but only by uh,
2: you
1: know taking up those challenges and kind of uh, going outside the box and
0: you know being a little
1: uncomfortable
0: right yeah that's quite true you need to always slowly push your own boundaries as an artist and then yeah. eventually overtake yeah. them.
1: Yeah.
0: You also do a lot of book covers and book illustrations. I wanted to just touch upon that as well because that's such a different environment compared to the production side of things. What drew yeah. you towards book illustrations? Um, I was just kind of uh,
1: curious how that industry would be mm-hmm. because uh, I know other friends who do book illustrations and they have also made it their career they quit the animation industry oh, okay. and yeah and they just do book illustration full time so i just wanted to explore that industry and see how how it felt and some um, an agency they contacted me and wanted to represent me and i said yes and through that i got a few projects And uh, so far, I've been liking it. Mm -hmm. The pace of it is like very, very different. Uh, It is extremely (laughs) slow compared to uh, the movie industry. Uh, So, you know, and uh, the amount of, uh, uh, they don't nitpick as much. Okay. So, uh, um, you know, it is a more chill industry. That's not as much stress. So I like it uh, so far.
0: I guess it's a good balance for you to counter the extreme production side of things with the book illustration. Yeah. No, but uh, it has its
1: uh, pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Because uh, animation industry is like a proper job, like a white color job, right? Mm -hmm. You get your pay every uh, every week or every month. So you know you're going to get the money. Mm -hmm. But in uh, book illustration, Um, they'll first you know give you like advance and then when the book uh, again in the middle you'll get some money and then when it gets published after like two or three years you'll get the rest oh
2: wow so it is yeah
1: it is not uh, a stable job sometimes you have to have a lot more disciplined uh, financial planning if you're uh, working in that industry
0: wow two or three years later that's that's a pretty big gap Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not
1: the case and you know it depends on the uh, specific
0: project like based on the publishing schedule of a particular book yeah so having this agency do they essentially take care of securing the projects for you completely or do you also need to network and reach out to authors or kind of mingle with that industry essentially uh they usually get me the work but i a lot of, uh, authors
1: and publishing companies also approach me. Okay. But the thing is if you are exclusively represented by, uh, the agency, mm-hmm. even if somebody approaches you, you have to direct them towards the agency and they have to come through the agency to okay. get your, uh, your service.
0: And I assume that they take a percentage of the commission and yeah. keep the whole thing running. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like you said the financial planning side has to be quite tight in situations like that. You really need to be aware of that. Yeah, and
1: uh, you know sometimes you might feel a little stressed out if you are if you don't have a project and uh, you'll have that anxiety that uh, financial anxiety mm-hmm. if uh, you feel like you're not having enough work. Uh that is not the case in animation, but in publishing uh you, know, you have to uh, always have some work. Uh, in the pipeline uh, so that you know you keep getting paid
0: do you let's say imagine yourself going freelance completely at some point in the future where you're, you're not bound by any particular company's schedule and stuff like that
1: uh, I may mm-hmm. but I know uh, right now the industry is like really hard mm-hmm. and there's a lot of work so you're getting a lot of like freelance uh, work but you don't know how the industry will be in like three or four years. So if uh, this trend continues, then I might go freelance because uh, uh, after you know a few projects, you know, freelance makes more sense because you get to pick and choose what project you're working on. You have more freedom, and uh, you know it, it is you get more freedom with your time as well. If right. you want to take a couple of days break in the middle of the day, you can. And, uh, and you get to choose more uh, uh, the, which stage of project you want to work on. If you are working at a studio, you have to, if you're committed to a project and you have to work on the initial, you may get to work on the initial stage of the project, but you have to work on the production uh, part of the project, which is not as fun. Yeah. But if you are a freelance artist, you can just choose, Yeah, you're going to do the conception phase and then say, uh,
0: skip to another project. Just keep doing blue sky after blue sky, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, now you've had a fair amount of experience in various studios and productions. Do you plan to ever create your own IP and take it forward? Uh, I have
1: some story ideas that uh, I... Would like to pitch in mm-hmm. the future uh, but uh, i have to take a break and uh, work on it okay uh, because the your uh, there is the chance of your project becoming a success increases if you put some effort into it and you know have like a more fully fleshed uh, out uh, story idea you know, like writing a few pages of the script or um you know making it into a graphic novel first things like that so th- that takes time the people who have done that they usually take like a one year sabbatical and work on their first project
0: yeah i so recently I be, yeah. spoke with christian as well who had done the explorer book and he essentially did the same thing that you were describing where he took a year off and just focused all his energy on that yeah in in your work there's this princess character that makes an appearance quite a few times at least in the more recent works is there mm-hmm. a potential ip around that character not right
1: now it was just something that i did for fun okay i was exploring like a style of painting and i just lent uh, nicely with that so I don't have any uh, like story behind her, but no, um, I might be like motivated and write something. Mm. Uh, And if somebody shows interest, then uh, I can write something. But right now I don't have any ideas. My main uh, story idea is the the tiger and the uh, lady. So that was my story that I am, uh, if I get a chance, I might. Mm
0: flush it out more that's awesome yeah it's always fun to see artists take on their own personal projects and push it to a higher level because at the end of the day i suppose that's what brings us the most joy because that's purely our own passion project
1: yeah no but it requires um, more skill mm. than uh, just painting right you have to be a good storyteller and uh, you may have to be a good writer as well. Um, So people take uh, workshops for that. And um, yeah, I may take like a story workshop to just get better at storytelling. Mm
0: -hmm. As artists, what else can people do to constantly push their skill beyond just the obvious thing of practicing more? Are there certain mindsets that people need to have to really elevate their game to the high level?
1: um you know just uh, you know trying to learn from different sources that is one thing you know just not uh, trying to learn from other contemporary artists who are popular in the industry but going back to the source or going back to um uh, like old movies or master artists and learning from that or you know watching uh, live action movies learning from that things like that and also learning from nature Mm-hmm. and uh, you know, going to museums and uh, traveling and just uh, increasing your, uh, your awareness of how uh, you know, nature works and how architecture works yeah, in real life. So that is always important. Just love, having a thirst for uh, knowledge is important and also not... Uh, getting stressed out or uh, when someone else finds success uh, you know you have to uh, learn from how they succeeded and uh, you know not lose hope from that you know that that's also important you know, you'll see other people who are at your level uh, who went to school with you they might find success and uh, you know that might hit you hard but then you have to recover from it fast and just see what you can learn from it.
0: you know that's another uh, you know important thing yeah that's a tough one because especially in this age where you can literally see everyone's successes it's you have to be really grounded and understand what your artistic path is and you stay true to that
1: yeah no and you know uh, some people get it uh, faster and for some people it takes time but if you just keep working at it you'll eventually make it but yeah you shouldn't give up hope and uh, just uh, feel like oh, you, you didn't find that success soon enough so you're just gonna give up yeah so it's not you know if you are uh you know dedicated and you keep at it you know eventually you'll find success
2: i was so you know
1: my case is like a good example i didn't get anything easily no i I had to uh, go through the ringer and it was a very step-by-step slow process yeah eventually you will find something
0: yeah and like you said earlier during the conversation luck is also a factor in it but luck manifests only when you're constantly working towards developing yourself
1: yeah, you know, luck is like uh, timing, right? So you have to be available at the right time. And that also means that you have made uh, the whole hard work of networking and also uh, having a portfolio that is versatile enough to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, so that people think you are useful for various different projects. So luck is not just luck, but also making yourself uh, uh, versatile and uh, available.
0: So I know we have a one hour hard deadline of the conversation. So I'm just going to leave you with one last question. Mm -hmm. And essentially, it's like, do you plan your life in a way where you're looking at the next decade, decade and a half? and projecting what you want from your career or are you somebody who takes it as it comes month by month perhaps? No,
1: I have a very rough idea of what uh, I want my life to look like mm-hmm. in the next 10 years. But uh, yeah, I have like more like a three to five year uh, goal okay. than like 10 year goal. So I just kind of keep working at my three year goal. So it is uh, I, the goal is achievable and you know I exactly know what I have to do to achieve it.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm really looking forward to what you come up with in the next three years and then the five years. And I have to say like this was a very information packed conversation and people can really pick out very tangible pieces of advice to really understand how the industry works at that top level so i really appreciate all the information you provided
1: cool yeah glad uh, you know you thought it was useful and it was a uh, pleasure talking to you awesome
0: well have a great day ahead and have bye. a we stay connected and looking forward to what you come up to all right take care take care bye